just to be clear, you're going to place your portable hole on the ground in front of you to catch the avalanche? Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly, And I'm Greg Ziegler. So we are on track for another look at another class in D&D. But before we get there, we kind of like to talk amongst ourselves and with our listeners about the games we've been playing and what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks since we last got together here in the recording studios. Uh, let's start with Greg. Greg, what have you been doing? Um, well, actually, one thing I forgot to mention last time when during our uh, post-Gen Con uh, podcast mm-hmm. is while you all were off uh, playing at Gen Con, we had family game night at my house, uh, actually with my uh, two kids and my wife, and we played Pandemic for the first time at home. Oh, did you? Um, yeah, my wife had never even heard of it before, and my kids had seen it but not played it. It um, it took us a couple of run-throughs. I hadn't played for, I don't know, about three or four years yeah, we played at a scout camp out yeah, we, one time. Yeah, we played scout camp. It took, and it took us, what, three runs to get through to, to succeed? Well, we were with Boy Scouts, so. Yeah. Well, no, it was, no, we weren't playing with scouts. It was, oh, it was, it was adults. adults. It was oh, just me and you and a couple maybe. other adults. And, uh, yeah, we did. I think we played three rounds, and I think we finally won. Uh, we only played two rounds, and uh, we did not win either time. But we uh, won we lost better the second time. Yeah, uh, it's, there's a learning curve on that. That's game. a good yeah. game to like convince yeah. people to play because it's cooperative. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that sort of head-to-head component. And that way, it's everybody's aren't. fault if they lose, and everybody's yeah. victory yeah. if they win. It it did take a little bit to for that to come back and remember how to play it and everything. Because I mean, we were pulling th- everything was getting pulled out of the bag for the first time. Yeah, uh, I'd had it for quite a few years. You've um, reminded me that we're doing the pandemic legacy, and I need to get the guys together and finish it up. We're in month October. We only have three more months to finish it, but yeah, we did. We also did some Uno, a classic. You know, it's a good palate <laughs> cleanser. We actually, what we we would play, we played a game. We played. Uh, we started out playing. We gonna let him talk about Uno on a like yeah, hardcore, hardcore game podcast. It's a, it's a palate cleanser. We played yeah. this Carmen San Diego card game <laughs> a couple of times, which I got for my wife because she's a big Carmen San Diego fan. Okay. And I've seen people cosplay Carmen Sandiego at yeah, conventions. It actually Gen it looks Con. really cool. No, the woman at Gen Con yeah. I ran into. Yeah, I, and then she hands out buttons that says, yes. you found Carmen Sandiego. Oh, that'd be cool. And she looks really good. She, she does. And she's, yeah. she's in character, and I was very impressed she with her. She was there this year also. Really nice, yeah. But we, we played several rounds of that, and then we played a couple rounds of Uno as a palate cleanser. And then we played um, Pandemic, and then we... Played a couple more rounds of Uno, so you know, Uno gets <laughs> gets the other game mechanics out of your system since there aren't really any game mechanics in Uno. You're just was that all in one night or over the? Oh course yeah, we of played a- for like at least three hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. we played for quite a while. Um, that was fun, and the, the Carmen game was cute. It was something I picked up at Target. Okay, I'm um, a little confused. Uh, forgive me for interrupting. Yeah, you played for three hours, uh, and you played so. two two games of Pandemic. Uh, yeah. How the heck did, did you lose that quickly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Uh, the oh, first wow. one didn't, the, the, the first one, the only reason it took as long as it did is we had to, you know, we're getting all the pieces out. We had to go through the rules. Uh, it was really clunky starting. And actually, uh, my wife didn't like it when it started. She's like, eh, I don't care for this game. I says, probably because we weren't doing it right. Mm-hmm. So we, we went over everything again and we were doing it right. We just didn't, it didn't click. But then the se- about halfway through the second game, 
it started to make sense and we actually started to make some headway and then things completely went to hell and uh you know we were doing really good and then we had some bad roles and everyone died it's sort of an analogy for life yes really. kind of is it kind of is you know <laughs> that's why we don't play cthulhu at home probably yeah. um but uh my my star wars game last week everyone showed up that was always nice um is this with uh tom reed in yes the... it is yeah yep that's a, that's a very cool game now that's our uh, our western themed star wars game am i under the impression this is a d6 system yeah yeah it's yeah, the, the west end west games end the old wars. west yeah if you're playing star wars man you're we're playing west end damn hmm. it it's like and Rognardiest version have, of Star Wars. Of <laughs> games that have multiple versions, editions. Yeah. The original West End version of Star Wars is probably second only to first edition D&D with the number of people who prefer that edition. Like yeah. most mm-hmm. players play the newest edition of a game, but there's a large portion of the yeah. Star Wars community yeah. that likes the West End version. Yeah, We are playing second edition West End Star Wars, but the difference between the two editions is yeah. pretty pretty minimal. So yeah, we. Uh, I mean, part of it was that when we started playing is we had all the books. I still had all mine, Tom still had all of his, and it's, it's a nice system and it works really well. I've played the newer, Star Wars at conventions, and I don't like it. And as much as I've complained about that before, as much as I like dice and getting dice, I don't like all those stupid ass one use dice you have to use for the game. It's just it, it's not clear, and it's I don't know. It's a mess. I just think it's I think it's a messy system. Um, uh, Eric's biweekly game is uh, moving, moving along, along, and uh, no are one you, died this week. I, did, I didn't die. The- are you back from the dead? Didn't you die last time? Uh, I was, like, yeah. killed, he, killed. He, he died, was, died, but then as uh, Brindley had a wish spell left oh, over. Oh, that's yeah, right. My daughter brought me back from with a wish prior spell. adventure. So uh, uh, my character is still recovering from that. I don't think the other players have quite noticed that my character is hesitant to do virtually anything that might get him killed now after that. Uh, <laughs> Once bitten, twice shy. Well, when we got killed in the previous run... He was not totally on board with what we were doing. He was going along because his friends were going, and he felt like he needed to back them up. But once we got in the room and started fighting that thing, he was just like, what in the snot am I doing in this place, fighting this thing? This is stupid. I'm leaving. And then the thing came I him. just had a vision of his character's mother going, if all your friends went on an adventure, would yeah. you go on an adventure too? You know what? He had, That was running through his head, <laughs> something very similar to that. Yeah. Everybody came to this. Why are we here? This is stupid. I'm leaving. <laughs> Of course, where was I going to go? True. That's that was the downside of that. Um, and Eric's uh, monthly campaign started back up again. We hadn't played since the first week of June. Yeah. After all, after our uh, quasi TPK, and uh, so we're all back with new questionable characters. <laughs> it was a TPK. You just yeah. were high enough level that you could recover from it. Yeah. And, and we played two weeks in a row, though. We played last. Sunday. We played this past Sunday, and, and we're going to play again Saturday, Saturday yeah. with our new group of morally ambiguous, sketchy characters. <laughs> yeah. I'm running into a bit of an issue that one of my characters is now. Um, he's become of a certain age, or I should say, his child has become of a certain age where he now no longer is in control of his own life. Oh, you know. all D and D characters are not in control of their own life. <laughs> not characters. <laughs> the I'm gamer. talking the game, the ga- uh. the player. Um, his uh, his daughter is now involved in just about everything. Oh, so nice. he's not really part of the group anymore, which makes me sad because he's a great player and a good friend. But ah, uh, it is so difficult when you try to make sure that everybody's there. So. Yeah, I know my gaming time freed up considerably when both kids were done with high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No yeah. more band camp. 
That's no true. more props. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of glad about that too. This this fall this fall is free and clear. It's kind of nice. You'll find other things to fill that time with, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about y- anything else, Greg? Uh, no, that's it. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll probably have more to say about uh, Eric's Monthly uh, next time because it's shaping up to be a very interesting group. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, Eric, what about it? Um, well, like, you know, Greg covered most of it. It's a, <laughs> it's a morally ambiguous group. They're starting in Duraco, which is the capital city of Ayuz's kingdom. So it's, like, inherently evil. It's okay. essentially like right. uh, the like the abyss light. So Yeah. most uh, uh, Abyss light. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Three of the five characters are from the Underdark. Yeah, all the evil, half the calories. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the, the original plan was that they were going to be sort of sort of evil but i don't like running evil characters right and then they were going to drift towards good i'm not sure what that path is going to look like at this point yeah yeah i think yeah you were definitely wanting to create a redemption path and right but now I we're on the highway to hell yeah more more like yeah full speed ahead <laughs> um, but that's the way it always goes something else like. did happen it wasn't me playing games but i had backed the kickstarter for the secrets of blackmore which was a right. movie yes that just got released and i got my early early code to view it and i watched it and there's been some some buzz on the internet about it what uh, let's talk about the film first what do you think about it is it is it I good th- i thought it was good uh it covered a lot of information i wasn't already aware of in more detail okay so one of the things that i gathered from it i knew the whole one if people don't know you know original dungeons and dragons generally is a viewed as gygax gary gygax and dave arneson were mm-hmm. the co-creators of dungeons and dragons and gygax gets the lion's share of the credit mostly because uh when he came out with ad and d they took arneson's names name off the book and that's when it really kind of got traction. and that's when it took off so everyone mm-hmm. saw gygax's name but there was never a, an attempt to not give him credit there were lawsuits later on that arneson. he wanted arneson yeah. filed that he wanted some of the proceeds because he said well i was instrumental in in the core of D, and even though you took my name off you still used a lot of the stuff i had contributed to and and there was a settlement around that and it's a it's a sore point for a lot of people mm-hmm. and one of the people is uh sort of involved with the movie many of them who are in the movie do not bear a grudge or have an agenda but there are a couple who do and and you get a little bit of that from the movie but one of the things that i got from it was there was another early gamer dave wesley who's still around still runs games right he uh, was more of a traditional war gamer he came up with a game called strategos n there was a uh book or a game system strategos from the 1880s and they had gravitated towards the system well he came up with a variant of that that uses used a much more active referee which was sort of like the precursor to what we consider a dungeon master and then he also came up with bronstein Mm -hmm. which was a war game except every player played a townsperson so one person might be the militia commander another might be the mayor a third person might you know be the the i don't know sheriff or shopkeep you know so so precursor to characters yeah and they had their own agendas and 
he would meet with each of them individually. They would tell him what their orders were because they all came from a war gaming background. Mm-hmm. And then he would sort of process the turn and tell everybody what the outcome was. Well, what happened unexpectedly to him was that while he wasn't meeting with us, uh, you know, the rest of the players, he'd meet with one at a time. All the other players were talking amongst themselves and planning and coordinating and doing all this stuff on the sidelines, which was not like most war games you play. You, you do your thing and they yeah. do their thing right. and then there's a result. And that was sort of the first precursor to role playing. Now, they didn't have a lot of the other aspects of RPGs like character advancement and, and you know, a dynamic campaign world and things like that. But they were planning and preparing and role-playing their position in the yeah. Brownstein Yeah, uh, and I and game. I would have to think that at some point somebody probably spoke in character because even during yes. war games, when I'm playing the you know World War II, some dude breaks out a German accent when he rushes his panzers across right. the field. Oh, yeah. you know? So oh. to me, I don't think David Wesley gets enough credit. <laughs> Forget, I, Gygax and Artisan, they get credit. Now, how that divvied up, there's people who will argue about it till till the day they die. But, uh, you know, clearly D&D wouldn't happen with with just one of them. It took both of them to make right. it happen. Or actually, truth be told, there's probably many more people who don't get all the credit. Oh, yeah. There's tons of people who mm-hmm. are involved uh, with the early hobby. But it is not a movie of sour grapes. No, I didn't view it that way. It definitely... You know, their goal is to get Arneson more credit. I was sort of turned off by the initial scene in the movie. It's an old recording, like a cell phone recording of Arneson, who passed away the year after Gygax passed away, I think. So it was like 2006, maybe, I think. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, I didn't know they died so close together. Yeah, Yeah, it was about a year apart. Uh, But he's at a convention, and he says, you know, it's him very authoritatively stating, uh, RPG started in 1974, and don't ask me, or whatever year it was, don't ask me why I know that, because I'm the one who did it. And, you know, I was sort of turned off by that. Yeah, it's not a good way to start. No, and... Kind of set the tone. But then after that, it was a more documentary style. Now, there's another one coming out called Dreams in Gary's Basement. And I backed that one, too. And I did, too. (laughs) I'm wondering, I did not back the uh, Blackmore one, but I'm kind of curious as to... Maybe we should watch them side by side or one right after another, compare and contrast. Yeah, there's there's tons of books out there, too, for people. This has mm-hmm. been covered over, you know, the the playing at playing at the world. Yes. That yeah. I know you and I both read the, the something of imagination. Uh, uh, there's the genius of imagination. Yeah, something, something like that. Like that. It's, that's another one that's pretty authoritative. I haven't read that one yet, but it's it's an interesting view. It's a fairly quick movie. A lot of uh interviews with people and I'm glad they're doing this because these people are getting older they're not going to be around forever right. let's let's get what they have to say on film but a lot of it is also okay it's been 40 years or more uh, memories change yes. yeah and memories change oh, yeah. a lot in 40 years yeah so it's worth seeing it's interesting it's generating a ton of buzz online and sort of rehashing that old Gary versus Dave debate I actually had a brief exchange with Luke Gygax who we've had on the podcast what's his has he seen it he has not seen it. Uh, he said he wasn't going to watch it. They did offer to get him a copy so he could watch it. I, my impression would be that he probably thinks that it's worse than it is. He tries to leave that stuff behind him. He's very close to many of the old uh, gamers. A lot of them show up at GaryCon. Right, yeah. And, you know, from his view, he he doesn't want to rehash that. Let the past be the past, past and just live past. and you know, have fun in the present. Can we all just get along? Right. Uh, 
So it's a good way to go. Yeah, and so I, I think he probably thinks the movie's worse than it is. It's truthfully not that bad. There's a couple parts that, like I said, that intro left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But beyond that, it was it was nice to see some of the the people get recognized who haven't been recognized before, That's at least awesome. at least publicly. That's good. Maybe nice. maybe Greg, we can get him to share the the access. Have a viewing party at his house. You bring How big house. of a screen TV do you I have? I don't have a very big TV. <laughs> oh. But but we might be able to put something together. <laughs> he just doesn't want to bring the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of space, though. That's true. That's yes. true, you do. Yep. Uh, you done anything, Dean? Uh, yeah, I've done some gaming. I've been more busy with the beginning of the semester of school than uh, anything else. Yeah, I know about that. Um, but I did have a very happy uh, incident happen over the weekend where I revived a game that I thought was dead... I posted about it on my Facebook page. Um, maybe I've talked about this game before, Golem Arcana. I've, I've seen it. I've never played it. Yeah, it's a app-based board game. And you can play the game by itself without using the app, but it's very, very... It would be very time-consuming, and you would lose all of the fun because you'd be doing too much math. Um, but it was an app-based game and ideally what it used was a, a bluetooth stylus that would receive and pick up information from data dots that are on the paint scheme of the miniatures and the board and the card uh, that seems complicated it's not complicated you okay. just press the, the stylus okay. on you know i want it to attack i want it to walk i want it to do this and, okay. and you could also tell where on the board it's going to do this and it worked very well with the app but the problem was that years ago back when it was functional or fully functional and supported um the ios systems kept updating and so the app had to be updated continuously Mm -hmm. right at least for apple products and eventually harebrained schemes which is the the people who made this said we can't afford yeah there's not selling any more copies of these games and we can't afford to keep paying these people to update the app so they dropped it but they did update it to the point where it was as good as it was going to get without putting on expansions but once the ios systems got too far advanced you couldn't play the game well about a month or two ago i saw some movement on the the facebook page and on uh, board game geek saying hey the kindle fire if you have a version 4 or version 5 generation 4 or generation 5 you can still play the game i've got a kindle 5 so i pulled it out uploaded the app Holy crap, everything is still there that I had when I was playing it four or five years ago, and I broke it out and played it, so it's now a viable game for me. My son and I used to play it a lot, and then we kind of dropped it when the iPad wouldn't play it because that's what we were using, and then I found out that my Kindle could That's sort of funny. I just actually reconnected sort of through Facebook with an old college friend who lives out in Springfield. I've been Mm -hmm. thinking about hooking him up with Jimmy because he's sort of been indicating he might want to get back into gaming, but uh, his name's Dave. We used to call him Manchester Dave because he lived in the Manchester Residence Hall in college. <laughs> nice. But, uh, and which is where Trinity, my daughter, now lives in oh, Manchester, cool. so sort of ironic. But he still plays a lot of the old SSI Dungeons & Dragons game. He has oh a computer gosh. that can still run them. Ow. He hasn't updated wow. his computer. <laughs> Big CRT on his desk. Man, yeah, yeah it's not quite that bad, but, <laughs> no, yeah. But, but that similar. is a risk with some of those yeah. technology-based games that uh, technology outpaces the game. Well, I mean, you know, that game, Golem Arcana, is the reason that I am very leery about any games that say, it's going to be using an app to help you yeah. out. Well, I kind of got my butt burned, well... 
almost got my butt burned with the game U-Boat that was a big Kickstarter, and it made all kinds of money and stuff like that, but it was using an app to actually play the game. Well, by the time it got to me, the app was already broken. Yeah. So I got rid of the game post-haste before people got wise to it, and I got my money back. So I'm not going to... I will very... It'll be a long time before I back a game that has any type of app-based aspect to it. I just look for minis. I want minis in my games. Mm -hmm. You know what? Pen and paper role-playing games do not. That's right. You don't have to update them very often. (laughs) That's right. Which is what we're here to talk about. That's right. Well, (laughs) uh, that was a very long but very entertaining segment of Games People Play. Okay, let's get into the meat of our subject, and we are talking about something that, according to what I'm gathering from our outline, kind of comes full scale without even touching first and second edition. Yeah, we don't have, we're talking about sorcerers. Yes. And they weren't around for first or second edition. Feels weird to not talk about now, that. Did it, not, did it evolve out of something else, or they just... Honestly, I don't know. There were Came up with it. homebrew stuff. There was always, you know, wizards have mastered magic through study and discipline. And even early D&D, people were like, well, what if I just wanted a character that was just magical, like just had magic? Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Dean Foster with the spell singing oh, series. Yeah. You know, right. they just... They just made songs that they could just cast magic with spells. There's other, you know, fantasy where they were just could do spells. So that's the idea of sorcerer. They never had one in early D&D because it didn't really mesh with Gygax and Arneson <laughs> <laughs> view of, you know, where magic comes from. Yeah, the right. functions. You know, Gygax had a very sort of Robert E. Howard mm-hmm. view of, you know, these, you had priests and you had wizards who studied and then that was it. And, yeah. And the world was human centered and there were other races, but it was mostly human. So, so sorcerers didn't fit with that, that view, but pretty quickly people were like, Hey, I want to play something different. Right. I remember it coming out in third edition and being very intrigued by it. And I think that was the first time that I created a sorcerer character in third edition. Um, I don't recall playing it too much because it felt too different to me yeah (laughs) it's if you want to play i always i love wizards that's Mm -hmm. probably my favorite character class so sorcerers always seem like a little cheaty to me yeah (laughs) Um, now in third edition they were more flexible right but not than wizards but not as versatile so they like got a, a lot of da- bonuses. Yeah, they had a pared down. It was like a pared down version of a wizard. Yeah, so they only had a limited number of spells. So they they you know you had to take your spells, and they kept that in fifth edition as well. Um, but in third edition, they had a lot more spell slots. Yes. They could cast more spells. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to prepare in advance. They could you know in early D and D you had to pick your spells, and that was the one you cast. Uh, in third edition, for for like clerics, you had. To pick your spells, but then you could exchange one for a healing spell, right? Wizards, I believe, still had to pick their spells in third edition, although it's been so long I don't recall exactly. I don't either. But uh, they also had slower advancement and power than wizards. Right. So there was some trade-offs, which is good. I mean, you have to differentiate them somehow. Um, And then (laughs) they had, for favored races, they had kobolds. Or Cabalds, if you're Greg. <laughs> Cabald. Uh, 
wild elves, chaos gnomes, diaboli, and spell scales, half of which I don't even know what they are. Right. Uh, a diaboli? That's the first time I think I've heard that as a favorite. Third edition had so much stuff associated with it. It was crazy. I mean, there was so much content. There's a million races, a million classes, a million subclasses. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. Uh, is, uh, is there anything in D&D called a Diabolist? There used to be. Yeah. Um, well, a homebrew, probably, because yeah. remember, you had uh, yeah. the video game, yeah. right? Well, uh, uh, why do you ask? The Palladium role-playing game, which, yeah, I know. Um, actually, that was one of the magic character classes you could play was a Diabolist. Yeah, it's sort of like a warlock. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. they just didn't want to use that term. I mean, there's so. probably, if you look back historically, if you're looking at like Dragon Magazine articles for, you know, just class, I bet you you would find one in there. Yeah. Somebody has probably submitted one. There's just so many. I remember one Dragon Magazine for April editions. They used to do April Fool's articles. And there was one character class, which was the accountant. <laughs> I recall that. That one. was hilarious. Yeah, you know, they would keep track of all the treasure and people's, you know, how mm-hmm. much they earned, and how much the hirelings were paid. Can I go back just a quick second to something that uh, Greg just talked about? He pulls up Palladium, uh, you know. Yeah. He always brings up Palladium, you know, just show uh, that played, he's got some cred back pl- in the day. I right? played right. for a long time. We played that for a I couple years. I did see a big sign um, at we Gen Con like for twice Palladium a Second Edition. Yeah. So finally, after yeah. all these years, yeah. Second Edition. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm the faculty advisor for the board game group here at Parkland, and we were having a student, uh, kind of a student fair. And the board game club was out there, and they were giving away D20s. And the question was, name a role-playing game other than D&D, and you can get a D20. Now, to most of our ilk, that's easy, right? Yeah. But to I, a lot of Greg people, would leave with 100 well, D20s. Well, he didn't. You could only get <laughs> one. But what he did, he did show up, and he didn't know that, I was in charge of it, anything, but according to the student who asked, he said, there's a guy that works over at the bookstore, and he says he knows you and does some stuff with you, and we asked him the question, and he, like, did chronologically from 1970. <laughs> that was 1983. <laughs> and, and we didn't recognize most of the right. games. <laughs> He's like, we didn't know any of them until he got to, like, Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So good, was, good on to, you. I was trying to name them in the, in the order that I learned them. Good on you, Greg. You so, impressed the heck yeah. out of that young person. Yeah. yeah. They were really. very they were very nice, and I got to pick out a D20. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, they had role-playing I'll games do back for then? I'm a, I'm, a yeah. di- I'm a die-ho. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which <laughs> might be a bit at some point in the future. <laughs> Speaking of bits, this might be a good time to work in. Our newest commercial. You know, we got to pay for this podcast somehow. Yes, I know. Yes. Yeah, this is a th- this, this this thing's hard to monetize. All yeah. right, yeah. And this one is, um, <laughs> yeah. This this little bit, this commercial could also cause us a little bit of problem in the legal sense, maybe later on. So we got to get our lawyers in on this one. Okay. Well, let's listen to it. And now a bit of sad news. There has been yet another death involving a tensor cycle the personal conveyance device manufactured by MELF's Tensor Cycles. The Circle of Eight have begun an investigation. Are you tired risking your life riding the incredibly dangerous Tensor Cycle? Kanyuko has the solution. Introducing the new Eldritch Cycle. The Lord of Darkness approves of the sleek styling and gibbet cage. That cage is functional as well as decorative. Tell me more. 
Each Eldritch Cycle comes with a helmed horror locked within the cage. After mounting the cycle, simply cast the Repelling Blast cantrip at the helmed horror to begin your forward movement. Ten feet per blast. But won't I end up killing the helmed horror? My Eldritch Blast is pretty metal. Silly goth, helmed horrors are immune to force damage. And since they are a construct, they don't require food or water. Simply diabolical. Where can I get an Eldritch Cycle? Easy! Simply send 4,392 gold pieces to Konyuko, P.O. Box 123, Divers Orth. Get yours before inventory runs out. Some assembly required. Konyuko is not responsible for any damage due to uncontrolled Helmed Horrors. Ability to cast Eldritch Blast and Repelling Blast required for successful conveyance. Training not included. <laughs> I don't like the way that started. <laughs> well, you know, that, that tensor cycle, that's, that's, that's pretty risky. Yes. Is, you know, this one is apparently is easier to control. I don't see it as being less risky, personally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just run the commercials. We don't come up with yeah. the products. Yeah. And 10 isn't really that fast. <laughs> well, you can cast it multiple times, right? If you're... Multiclass and a sorcerer. It's, it's a cantrip, so you could quicken, which we're going to talk about in a okay. little bit. All right. Um, so we were at. How many people have died on those tensor cycles? <laughs> I don't think we keep that's count. Not our, <laughs> that's not our responsibility. Deaths in a fantasy setting are tough to count because yes. do you count the resurrection? Does it count mm. twice? Does it count zero? If someone dies and resurrected and then dies. That's die, a good point. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's. Do you it's, get negative points? Yeah. Don't know. It's tough. <laughs> All right, so sorcerers. Back to sorcerers. Um, fourth edition. The only good thing to come out of fourth edition is the bloodied mechanic. I think that's <laughs> going to be on Eric's gravestone. The only good thing to come out of no, fourth edition no, is bloodied. No, no. Actually, my gravestone is is going to say is I have my name and the dates, and but on top of that, it's going to say BRB. Be right back. JK. Just kidding. LOL. Oh my gosh! Oh, right, because in a hundred years nobody gives a shit that you're dead, right? Right. They'll probably dig you up and, and throw you in the landfill. But they're gonna not visit you. You're gonna have yeah, uranium schools, in yours. Schools are gonna visit me, and they'll be like, "Look, kids! Before we had telepathy, they had these things <laughs> called cell phones, <laughs> and they used letters to signify words because they didn't want to thumb type. And so this guy says, you know, be right back, but he's dead." Just kidding. LOL. See, so my grave will be visited. Nobody's going to visit your grave because it's going to have your depleted uranium in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll yeah. Be, I'll have yeah, the lead be coffin, a though. Zone. I'll have the lead coffin. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be on a hill all by himself. I know. I know, with a fence around it. And <laughs> I do not enter. <laughs> I have plans. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. Um, so, fifth edition sorcerers. They... Let's just go through what what they get. You know, we've already sort of talked about who they are. So at first level, you get four cantrips, which is pretty decent. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. nice. You get two spells, and you get two slots to cast those spells. Now, a wizard, by comparison, gets three cantrips, still has two slots, but has six spells. But they can't necessarily prepare all those spells, but they, they start with them in their spell book. And you get an origin. You have to pick how you became a sorcerer, which we're going to talk about uh, at the end after we cover the general class features. At second level, you start with Font of Magic, and you get sorcery points. And 
this is really what differentiates sorcerers from wizards in, in fifth edition because early on it was the number of spells you could cast like in third edition sorcerers could cast a lot more spells than wizards there's not that big of a distinction in fifth edition it's more that you have these sorcery points and you can use them to make more spell slots so you can basically you get like one sorcery point per level is how it tends to work out so you can convert I forget how many, like three sorcery points into a second level spell or something. Um, or vice versa, you can convert a spell level into sorcery points. So you can create more spell levels with them, but it also lets you do extra things with meta magic, which is an ability you get at third level. And this is really what differentiates the sorcerer. So now there's about eight or so meta magic feats. And generally, you can only use one per spell when you cast it. There is a, an exception, which we'll talk about. But they are pretty cool when you start to combine them as a sorcerer. The first one is careful spell. So if you burn one sorcery point and you cast a spell that's going to hit your allies, you can actually allow auto-succeeds on saving throws. Up to the number cool. of creatures, up to your charisma modifier. Charisma is your primary stat as a sorcerer, so you're either going to have three or four. Not as good as the shaping spell that the evocation wizards get where they exclude their allies from the effects, but there are some spells that have no effect on a save, so that'd be handy. There's a distant spell, which doubles the spell range, which I tell you what, I would love that for counterspell. Counterspell is mm. great, except it only goes 60 feet, and most of the other spells have a range greater than 60 feet. And a lot of fights take place at greater than 60 feet when they start. Yeah, it also, uh, mm -hmm. when you have a spell that has a range of touch, you can spend that one energy point and extend it to 30 feet, which is reaching out and touching someone. Yeah, that's sort of cool. I haven't thought about the mechanics of how that would affect things. There are some really cool touch spells that yeah. you know, maybe you don't want to be that close to the person, but <laughs> it would be nice to use a touch spell against them. Like a mummy with some kind of hideous yeah. grasp. Attack. But you know what? You only start with two meta magic feats, and you only ever go up to four. I don't oh. know if it'd be worth wasting one just on eh. that distance. It could be. It depends. Now, the other one is the one that you can combine with other meta magic feats, and that's empowered spell. If you spend one magic, uh, one sorcery point, you can reroll damage dice up to your charisma modifier and take the new roll. So when you're casting that huge fireball. And you're rolling, you know, your eight d six, and you have a eighteen charisma. You can pick four of those dice up and re-roll them and use the new result. That's that's pretty good, especially if you're rolling big dice. I mean, the bigger the die, the better that is. That's that's fair. Or if and you're rolling, only, or if only, you're rolling crappy, or if you're like rolling, like you, like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever played a spellcaster? Uh, I have a wizard. I've played a couple of times. I oh, that's right. You're not as excited about. Yeah, you're not a big cast spellcaster player. No, I'm not. I, I like to, I like to whack things with swords and stuff. But uh, if now another one, extended spell. You can spend a spell point to double the duration of a spell up to 24 hours. Again, sort of handy. There's some spells that that you might want to last a little longer. There is heightened spell. This is another popular one. It costs three sorcery points, which is huge, but it gives your target disadvantage on the saving throw against the spell, which is also pretty huge. A lot, especially at higher levels, it's there's a lot of bonuses, so it's 
generally pretty easy to make spell saves for some of the big bad monsters, but it gets significantly harder when you're rolling two dice and taking the worst of the two. So, so that heightened spell is pretty good. Quicken spell is probably the most popular. You spend two sorcery points, and you can change the casting time of a spell. That's it has to be a spell that's normally cast in one action, and you can turn it into a bonus action spell. This essentially lets the sorcerer cast two spells around, but it's also the reason for our screwed up bonus action spell casting rules in fifth edition that nobody <laughs> gets right. And I see people commenting on this all the time. You can't cast two spells in a round. Yes, you can. Okay. If. <laughs> the rule is, for one thing, you can cast two spells in a round. You can cast two action spells in a round so long as you don't cast a bonus action spell. So if I'm a wizard with action surge because I multiclass in a fighter, I get two actions. I can cast two spells. But the rule is if I use a bonus action to cast a spell, the only other spell I can cast during that turn is a cantrip. Oh. And that's because of this sorcerer quickened spell. They don't want them casting two fireballs. So you can yeah. quicken fireball, and then that turns into a bonus action spell. Now that rule kicks in. I still get my action, but I can only cast a cantrip. Okay. It. Or I could do anything else with my action. Right. I could attack with a sword. I could run. I could yeah. you know, drink a potion. Probably run after throwing that fireball. <laughs> yeah. There is so much confusion about that spell casting ruling. I actually have this big, long explanation on Reddit. And anytime I see somebody go, you can't cast two spells in a round, I just link that Reddit yeah. link because it's, it is rather convoluted. Mm -hmm. um, and technically, you can't even cast, a, if you read it, the letter of the law and the rules, you theoretically wouldn't even be able to cast a reaction spell on your own turn, which is strange. But, you know. That most people allow reaction spells, but technically it's on the same turn and that rule would kick in. Anyway. Hmm. Interesting. So quicken spell is super useful for two sorcery points. I'm dishing out, even if I'm just shooting a fireball, that's that's an extra D10 worth of damage. And at first level, oh, well, it can't be. You have to be second level at least to use it. <clears throat> the last, uh, the second to last one is subtle spell. Another really good one. Essentially, you can cast a spell, you spend one sorcery point, and you cast it without any somatic or verbal components, which means you just have material components, which means it can't be countered. Right. Because to counter a spell, uh, you have to see, you have to hear the person or see the person casting it. That's a question nice. that is a little bit uh, not off topic, but in your games, how often do your somatic material and verbal components come into play? You know, fifth edition is designed such that you don't really have to pay attention to them mm -hmm. because right. you have a spell focus, which takes the place of your material components. Right. Unless it's a specific component that you have to have, like the 100 gold piece Piece's pearl diamond, for yeah. identify, yeah. which isn't consumed, by the way. You just have to have it. It's reusable. So you don't need that. And then you have to have a free hand to cast spells mm -hmm. if it has a somatic component, one free hand. Well, most wizards aren't carrying shields. Clerics carry shields, but they're allowed to put their holy symbol on their shield or on a tabard so right. they don't have to have the free hand to manipulate that component. So 
usually so if you're being grappled or something that might come up even grappled yeah. you can cast spells that really? doesn't stop you from it just reduces your movement to zero it, uh-huh. you can still do everything you can normally do in i can see some places where uh material components or or the somatic components and or if you've been muted in some way shape or form yes. um so, yeah. i've i've run into some problems because sometimes i think uh people who've only played fifth edition D kind of forget that those things are there yes and when I say you can't do that because of for whatever reason, you ran out of twigs. Certain, yes, you ran out of twigs, or your you know the 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 dust that you needed is wet or blown away in the wind or something like that. They're like, but I never had to use it before, type of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of spells. A lot of the sort of escapey spells are just verbal components. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I do incorporate in my campaign is. If you have a prison and you're keeping anybody in a prison in a fantasy world, there would be silence on that on that jail cell. <laughs> yeah, I really, mean, there would just yeah. be a perpetual silence because otherwise it's too easy to escape. I mean, a mm-hmm. teleport's a, or a, a teleport might be verbal. I know, like Misty Step is probably verbal yeah. only. There's a lot of them that are. That but are you've just, never encountered that type of issue before, even in no. some of your convention games. I, when I play, I'm conscious of it. Like my favorite character, Grim, is a cleric wizard. And I, theoretically, I could use a shield, mm-hmm. but I can't because I wouldn't be able to cast my wizard spell. So instead, I use a longsword two-handed, and I can let go of one hand to cast my spells. Now, of course, since I'm a min-maxer, I also have a dancing rapier. So I start the battle <laughs> with a longsword and a dancing rapier, and I throw the rapier in the air, and then I have my free hand, and I can use my longsword two-handed. Yeah, both teleport and misty step are verbal only. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. So. And Dimension Door might be, too. I don't even know. Greg can look that up. <laughs> yeah. That's left of my book here. Yeah. they. Um, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean I would, to I would say, yeah, yeah, I would say for the most part in my experience, either playing with Adventures League or playing with Eric, that the only thing that really comes up other than those expensive components is the verbal element because, yeah, silence is getting cast all over the place. Right. Yeah. I know Featherfall's verbal only, and it used to be like a tenth of a segment or something in first edition D&D. And... Essentially, I'm pretty sure the verbal component was shit. (laughs) 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 Yeah, something like that. Uh, What else was I looking up? I forgot. Dimension. Dimension door. door. Okay, I was uh, fourth uh, level. uh, Actually, yeah, uh, Featherfall actually does have a uh, feather material component. Material, a small feather feather, or a piece of down. So carry a pillow. Right. And uh, can you believe just how? Completely crazy yes, that, that the utility belt of a wizard. Yeah. Must oh, be. And, and first edition. Yeah. And you know, it's sort of funny if you look at the material components. Like for Fireball, the, it used you to be like, bat guano. Yeah, bat guano. Well, bat guano was used in the manufacture of gunpowder because mm-hmm. gunpowder is charcoal, sulfur, and saltpeter. Yeah. Right. Or yeah, I think that's what it is. And one of those, it's a, like a nitrate. Type of nitrate, yeah. Yeah, and bat guano was where they used to mine that. And, as a matter of fact, in the Civil War, they used to go in the caves right. and f- actually mine bat guano that was like feet deep in yes. these caves. That sounds like a lovely job. Yeah, well, you know, you got to make gunpowder. You, mm-hmm. you know, brother against brother, you got to have gunpowder. <laughs> so uh, a lot of them, there's another one. If you just read the components, it's sort of funny. Yeah. Uh, though, uh, detect thoughts is a penny. Essentially, it's it's like a copper piece. Right. So, penny for your thoughts. Ah, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's all these little... Yeah, but these guys are so weighed down by their material components that they can barely walk. 
Yeah, well, now we have spell focus, so right. we actually don't need All any right. of those. And nobody pays attention to encumbrance anymore, so that doesn't right. matter. That's true. Carrying on. <laughs> All right, so a subtle spell can be really handy because essentially you can make it such that your spell is not counterable, which is useful at times. The last one is also really good, twin spell. I see that one a lot. Yeah, so if I'm casting a spell... I have to spend sorcery points equal to the spell level, so this one can get expensive. Yeah. It has to be a spell that targets a single creature, but I can have it target more than one creature. I see this a lot with Polymorph. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, so (laughs) I'm going to cast Polymorph. I'm going to turn myself into a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I'm going to turn the bad guy into a slug or whatever creature is is in the monster manual that's relatively harmless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you can do that. I can twin it, and I don't have to twin them to the same thing. They each have their own, you know, effect going on. Yeah. That's pretty handy. That's fourth level spell, though, so that's four sorcery yeah. points. But you're ninth level by the time you have it, so you have nine sorcery points. Mm. Okay, it's not bad. <clears throat> so meta magic is really what distinguishes sorcerers. Now, like every other class, they get their ability score increases at four, eight, twelve, sixteen, and nineteen. They move the tw- one that would normally arrive at twenty to nineteen, so you can get your capstone. Their 20th level capstone ability, uh, as Greg mentioned uh, prior to the podcast, probably the shortest capstone mm-hmm. ability description. That's a line and a half. Yeah. You regain four sorcery points after a short rest. I believe if you have none, or is that always? It says you regain four extended. So, yeah. So if you've used at least four points, you take a short rest, you get four back. 15 words. Yeah. Not a, <laughs> not a great capstone, not awful. I mean, I guess guess it's decent. At least you'll use it. I mean, it's not, yeah, something yeah, that you're, never you're, happens. By the time you take a short rest, you've probably burned through at least four sorcery points. And at 20th level, you have 20. So, And you can always convert sorcery points into a spell level. So even if you haven't used them and you've used a spell, you've cast a spell before the short rest, you could use sorcery points to make us <laughs> regain a spell level and then just regain those sorcery points after a short rest. So... <laughs> Not that I'm min-maxing, but that, that would you be would never possible. do that. So, every sorcerer has their origin. And how many are there? There's one, two, three, four, five. Five origins. The one I see most often, draconic bloodline. So the idea is that these sorcerers gain their magic through d- draconic ancestry. Now, ironically, these aren't limited to dragonborn. Anybody can have draconic ancestry. See, and my issue with that, which we were discussing before this, is that's telling you you should be a dragonborn, but they don't want to tell you you should be a dragonborn because, you know, everybody can do everything. But really, it's for dragonborn. Yeah, we're going to have a whole podcast about our our nitpicks with 5th edition, and I think a lot of it's going to be talking about everyone can do everything. Yeah. Because the more we play, the more it sort of annoys us, I think. Yeah, maybe. But they do account for that. They say, like, if you're not, whatever race you are, I think the description says you your skin takes on, like, a scaly dragon-like appearance or something. They have some, some flavor text in there that explains it. So with a draconic bloodline, when you pick that for your sorcerer, you get a dragon ancestor. So you gain a damage type that's associated with the color of the dragon that you have. So you can you can inflict that damage. You learn Draconic, and you get a double proficiency bonus when interacting with dragons. 
Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. You also get Draconic Resilience at first level, which is really good. You get plus one max hit points per level. And because of that skin, that hide that toughens up, you can opt to use your uh, base armor class of 13 plus your dex. Now, normally a wizard would cast mage armor, or a sorcerer could cast mage armor, and that is also 13 plus dex. So essentially you get a free mage armor spell that's up all the time. Nice. Now, like most things, you can only use one method for calculating your, your armor class. So if you're also like a barbarian and you have that other equation, which is like some number plus con a plus barbarian dex sorcerer. Or yeah, you can't. You don't start with thirteen. <laughs> you you only use one one way to compute your your armor class. So, I guess it's okay. It's a free mage armor. Now at sixth level, you can add your you get elemental affinity. You can add your charisma modifier to damage if you cast a spell that deals your draconic damage die on one roll. You get to do that. And you get resistance to that type of damage for one hour. So if you're, you know, red and you have fire as your type, you can add your right. charisma to a fire spell, and then you get resistance to fire. That makes sense. At 14, you get wings. <laughs> Everybody wants wings. Everybody wants you know, wings. They just expanded Adventures League. Season nine's coming up, and they're going to let people take. I believe it's uh, maybe it's Asimar. I forget. They're they're allowing one of the races. And they're allowing people to have wings. People are very excited about having wings. <laughs> I think they will limit it. You have to be a certain level before you get your wings because it does yeah. sort of break the game at low levels. But people every, love wings. Every time a bell rings. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So they get you get wings. You get uh, bonus action uh, for a, a fly speed equal to your move speed. So your bonus action, your, your wings sprout out, and now you have a fly speed equal to your move speed. But you can't be wearing armor, which yeah, normally I, is I, like, I like that they addressed, too, that your clothing might be destroyed in the process. Yes, because yeah. your yeah. wings burst out. It's sort of like a... Or your wings destroyed in the process. Dogma, yeah. right? Didn't dogma have that, where their wings busted out? Maybe? Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. that was it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That was a good movie. Um, at 18, Draconic Presence... Uh, you use an action and five sorcery points to give yourself a 60-foot aura of awe or fear for one minute. And that actually counts as a concentration. Yeah, you channel the dread presence of your dragon ancestor. That's a good phrase. Yeah, make people frightened, which I guess maybe that's okay. You know, they have to. They can't move closer to you. They can stay where they are. Greg, Greg knows way more about the frightened condition than anybody else yeah. I know. Sadly, that is true. <laughs> because he fails every save. It doesn't even matter. I could have like a plus ten, and I'll roll a one. It just, it just never fails. So let's not go gambling with Greg. <laughs> no, no, that would be bad. So draconic bloodline. I see a ton. Yeah, most of, of those are sorcerers. Mm-hmm. Now the second one that's in the player's handbook is wild magic. I've seen two wild magic, well, maybe three wild magic sorcerers. One of them is my first fifth edition character, Nostra Dumbass, who is a combination wild magic and two levels in divination wizard. And he's a dice manipulation character, which makes sense when you look at wild magic. You know, I looked through the book here. I could not find dice manipulation sorcerer anywhere. I just didn't see that. It's a custom build. Oh, okay. So wild magic... uh, 
a lot of people don't like it. It's essentially weird stuff happens when when you cast your spells. It looks a little bit like the whole uh, um, deck of many things. <laughs> well, it's not that broken. It's not changing anybody's alignment. <laughs> right, yeah. The spells of many things. So essentially, wild magic at first level, you get a wild magic surge. When you cast a, a leveled spell, not cantrips, but a leveled spell, you have to roll d d20. And on a 1... You have a wild magic surge and crazy stuff happens. And there's a chart in the book. The worst one, I believe, is is it 27 is the fireball <laughs> um, or 32, somewhere around there. Uh, I'm looking. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Fireball, fireball, confusion. No, that's seven or eight. Centered on yourself. You cast yeah. Fireball as a third-level <laughs> yeah. spell so, centered on yourself. I like you, you cast Confusion centered on yourself. No, Confusion doesn't kill the party. So this yeah. is why wild magic sorcerers have a bad rep, because at first level, you can cast a magic missile yeah. and drop a fireball, center it on yourself, oh. and kill everybody. Because it's going to kill everybody. So you, you cast polymorph on yourself. If you fail the saving throw, you turn into a sheep for the spell's duration. Yeah, and there's other effects. So you can I, summon flumps. That could yeah. be bad. Now, people have looked at that list and broken down how many negatives, how many positives. As it turns out, 48% of those effects are actually positive effects. 12% are sort of neutral, right, or are neutral. Yeah. 22% are negative. Uh, 6% of monster appears, which means <laughs> if it appears next to the enemy, that's good. If it appears yeah. next to you, that's, that's bad. Fair. 10% are harmful or helpful depending on the conditions. <laughs> right, yes. So they go either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a 2% chance that you roll... 10 more times in the next minute oh, on the chart. <laughs> I've never rolled that one. That would be sort of cool. So essentially, this weird stuff happens when you cast spells. It can be a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. It mm-hmm. only happens 5% of the time. Right. Now, well, for me, it would be 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the thing that, that modifies that. The other ability you get at first level is Wild Magic Sorcerer, and this is why you would do it, is called Tides of Chaos. You can take advantage on any attack or uh, attack, ability check, or saving throw once per rest. So you use this, and you say, I want advantage on this roll. And this is where the dice manipulation comes in. Go, I want advantage. Now, once per rest isn't that awesome, but when you cast a spell and you've used your Tides of Chaos already, the Dungeon Master could have you automatically roll a Wild Magic Surge. And you get your Tides of Chaos die back. So if you have a Dungeon Master who really likes wild magic, yeah. they're just going to have you roll surges all the time, which means you can get advantage all the time. Nice. Some Dungeon Masters even go, yeah, you can surge whenever you want. If you want to surge, <laughs> just surge, because it, it definitely oh, wow. makes, it, makes it interesting. Yeah, you could take advantage whenever you feel like it. Yeah. Now, so you have that Tides of Chaos, which is handy, right? It's always nice to be able to pick. It's essentially an inspiration that you always sort of have in your back pocket for that important saving throw or something like that. At sixth level, you get Bend Luck. This is the other dice manipulation part. I can burn two sorcery points and use my reaction to give another creature plus or minus 1d4 on an attack, ability, or saving throw after the roll but before the outcome's announced. Nice. A D4 can swing some of those rolls, especially for oh, saving yeah. throws. So my yeah. character is really popular <laughs> when people are trying to make saving throws against really nasty effects because I can throw a D4 and after they've already rolled. 
that's sort of cool. Unlike Bardic Inspiration, which has to, you already have to have it in your pocket before you roll. I can just, as long as I can see them and I have my reaction, I can burn those sorcery points. At 14th level, now this is key, controlled chaos. Instead of rolling once on the wild magic table during a surge, you get to roll twice. And you pick which one you want to use. Sort of wild magic advantage. Yes. And given that 48% of those effects are positive... I almost never get a negative effect once I'm 14th level. If you survive to 14th and level. And even if I do get a negative effect, if the choice is fireball or turn into a sheep for a round, <laughs> okay, I'll just turn into the sheep. You know, I mean, there's you're never really going to roll two awful effects. Right. Uh, there was one that I turned ethereal for like a minute. That sort of sucked because oh. I was out of the combat for a long time. But this is like a min-maxer's... Hey, hey, now watch your tone when you say those. No, 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 I'm just going to say this this is like a min-maxer's wet dream right here. Kind of. It is fun to play. At 18th level, you have Spell Bombardment, which is like an exploding die. So if when you roll, if you roll a max damage on one of the dice, you can roll that die again. Oh, nice. I would prefer it was all the dice, any maxes that you rolled, and, and... Continued exploding, so you should be able to continue to roll if you roll the max max die. But that's actually kind there's of a, a lot of luck involved in this character. In there terms is terms of the luck of the die roll. Yeah, but remember your sorcerer, you so you make can, some of your own. Life. I can empower my spell for one hit die, so I'm already re-rolling yeah. mm-hmm. by the time I'm that level five of my dice if I have a twenty charisma. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a Star Wars D six roll too. If you roll a six on the wild yeah. die, that you keep rolling it as long as you as, keep rolling yeah. wild dice. You that's can not the way this. You can mess something up. This is that. just a one time reroll. Yeah. Truthfully, if you're rolling D sixes, you're going to add three and a half more damage at 18th level. Yeah, mm. it's not that great, but it's interesting. So wild magic sorcerers are fun to play, but. You really have to have a DM that's going to work with you on it. Yeah, you're either going to get somebody who goes, cool, or groans and goes, oh, God. Now, <laughs> Nostradamus, his backstory is that he worships the gods of fate. So that's why he can manipulate all these die rolls. He also has those two portent dice from the divination wizard. Uh, and But his trinket is a magic eight ball, and I make every important decision with oh, my magic yep. eight ball. So he's he's a fun character to play. Do you carry the eight ball with you? Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a physical magic eight ball that's that I great. carry. That's I also have an app on my phone just in case I don't have my... I wasn't expecting to play him, and I ended ah. up playing him. So but, a standard eight ball? Just one of the regular ones? Yeah, I have a sarcastic one, too, but that doesn't work as well. Oh, yeah. So this is standard magic eight ball. <laughs> um, and he's actually 20th level now. He's he's 19th or 20th. He was my first, first fifth edition character. Oh, so I have a lot of fun with him. Now, three more, huh? Yes. Uh, Xanathar's They're all guide out of Xanathar's, out. too, yep. which is interesting. That, yeah, uh, which is fine because the Sword Coast Adventures guide, as we've talked about before, not impressed <laughs> with the additions that they provided for these class options. Yeah, I like Xanathar's. So, uh, Divine Soul. So, the idea is that you get your magic from a divine source. This sort of straddles the line. Was, You're, it's a little cleric-y, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's a little cleric-esque. It's a little cleric-y. So... Basically, at first level, you get divine magic. You can use uh, cleric list for spells. So, <laughs> yeah, which is a little strange. Not just kind of rides the line of cleric. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. pretty much just stepping right over it. Yeah. And you get some domain spells as well Yeah, that are more cleric in nature. You also get favored by the gods. You can add a 
2d4 to a saving throw or attack roll after you miss once per rest, right? So it's sort of like the wild magic, except it's 2d4 and you only get to use it once. That's sort of good. At 6th level, you get empowered healing. You could spend sorcery points to re-roll any healing dice by a spell that is cast within 5 feet of you. You don't that need to be the one pretty. to have cast a spell, though. Yeah. So if you're standing know. next to the cleric and they... Blow it. They, they roll and they don't roll very well, you can spend your sorcery points to to basically allow them to re-roll some of those uh, dice. That's pretty pretty <laughs> niche Yeah. Yeah. But it also works when you yeah. when you cast it. 14th level, otherworldly wings. <laughs> you get wings. Everybody gets wings. Oh, Everybody yeah. gets wings. Yeah. You get wings and you get wings. Remember that old commercial with the panty liners and they had wings? Oh Remember yeah. that? <laughs> I went to Red Bull. He went to panty liners. <laughs> yeah. I went to Oprah. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Huh? Oprah. That's all I I say everybody oh, gets yeah. wings. You get wings yeah. and you get wings. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, you get yeah. wings. For a bonus action, you can I'm not, you I don't want to see the connection until you just, <laughs> you not, dismiss I, your wings. I cannot see it now. Yep. So... Then at 18th level, unearthly recovery. As a bonus action, you regain half of your hit point maximum once per long rest, once per day, basically. Again, not a fan of abilities that only are useful when you're sucking. So if you're that low, yes, it's it's handy, but I would prefer never to be at half my hit points. I suppose when you need it, it's good. I'm there all the time, so it's a good... <laughs> now, I, Eric, I think none of us would prefer to be at less than half our hit points but sometimes it does happen yeah but if you're like five less than half it's only good for five hit points it's most effective when you're at one hit point right and again i don't like to to cut it that close now do you say you regain up to half of your hit points meaning like let's say you have 50 and you're at 24 you're only gonna get you go to 25 that's my understanding i would read it as you get 25 say and you got it open let's let's get a ruling i believe most of the other abilities specified that you can go up to half of your hit point maximum you can regain a number of hit points equal to half of your hit point maximum oh so i guess that would be you get 25 yeah, yeah. that's how i read it yeah. but do you have to be below or is that at any value when you are fewer than half of yeah your hit so points. so if you're at 24 you could get 25 back and be at 49 out of 50 right that's not too bad yeah now <laughs> that being said okay. i don't know if i like this one it sounds kind of. I mean, bleh. just be a cleric. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's it's a little fiery kind of. Well, it's know. just it's it's cleric. You're a cleric, except now you have meta magic abilities. You're you're picking up meta magic yeah. for a cleric, essentially. I I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of this either. But yeah. Now but you get wings. You get wings. Uh, okay. Not in the next one. Yeah. So the next one is shadow magic. This one I had I have never run into that. I have run into a divine soul while running. I've never run into a shadow magic to my knowledge. Maybe somebody had it and I didn't know, but uh, you get your magic from the shadow fell, which is a plane of shadow. And if you want to deep dive into a rabbit hole, Google the plane of shadow or the shadow fell because it's one of those areas that's never really been clearly described but it sort of people talk about it a lot like the extra the planes mm. in dungeons and dragons there's some mm. of them that have not been developed really deeply but people like to use them right yeah. they like to mention them so, right. now is that a is that a dragon kind of thing or uh, can I, that be used 
I think anywhere. it's everywhere. So, so okay. the general Checking. description is it's sort of like the ethereal plane where it overlaps our current plane, but the, it's just shadowy. <laughs> so it's the ethereal travel, plane with the lights off. Yeah, uh, sort of like the upside down and Stranger Things. Oh, there you like, go. But everything's in black and white, apparently. <laughs> so Okay. And I, I actually was thinking about that. If you really want to, like, jack somebody up, dark vision is theoretically black and white and it's described as you mm-hmm, see it black yeah. and white if you have a party that's relying on dark vision all the time put a puzzle in your dungeon that relies on colors like a series of buttons or levers that are colored yeah i'm yeah. waiting for that to happen now <laughs> and then they would have no clue they're like what they're just seven buttons <laughs> and like you know push them all you know, know i wonder what, if you, you asked to... how many players would realize that dark vision is essentially shades of gray Probably probably 5%, I would yeah. guess. But here's my, my puzzle. Seven buttons, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. But they're mixed up, but you have to push them in a specific order wow. or things start killing you, right? Nice. But you're in dark vision, so they all just look gray. <laughs> and nobody brought a torch. And nobody brought a torch or a light spell. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. That's what we have Brian for. That's true. <laughs> he always plays a human. <laughs> yes. Uh, shadow magic. So first thing you get is 120 foot dark vision, which is sort of awesome because most creatures only get 60. 60. Foot. I think yeah, that's drow cool. get 120 probably, but otherwise I think it's usually 60. You also at first level get strength of the grave. So if you take damage that's going to drop you to zero hit points, you can make a charisma saving throw. Remember you're a sorcerer, so charisma is your primary attribute. Equal. The DC equal to the five plus the damage you take from that hit to drop to one hit point instead of zero. You can do that once per long rest. So once per day. So normally if you'd be knocked out, you can you can make that save and hopefully drop to one and still be around. That's that's a useful ability. Mm-hmm. As much as I hate falling down, sometimes it does happen. And it's only a first level ability. That's not too bad. Sixth level, Hound of Ill Omen. Now this one's a little little complicated. As a bonus action plus three sorcery points, you can summon a dire wolf, essentially. There's some differences, but it's essentially a dire wolf. Next to a target creature within 120 feet. So you summon this eight. It's like having a familiar, um, but that target, you know, a familiar can do the eight action and give you advantage on attack. What this thing does is it gives that target disadvantage on saves against all your spells. Oh, nice. And it's not as wimpy as a familiar. It's sort of a direwolf, so it's got an armor class and yeah. some hit points. So essentially, and it's scary. you can always have be giving disadvantage to anything you're targeting with your spells. You use your bonus action sorcery points, you summon this thing. Additionally, this thing can track your target. <laughs> so it's sort of like, you know, as a hound from hell or something. Yeah. That's sort of good at sixth level. Mm. I mean, being able to give things disadvantage all the time. That's true. That's pretty decent. Is that just your attacks or everyone's? Just yours. Okay, just yours. Okay. At 14th level, you get Shadow Walk. As a bonus action, you can, and you have to be in dim light or darkness, you can teleport up to 120 feet into another area of dim light or darkness. So. That's sort of cool. That's yeah, a super that misty cool. step. Yeah. A little bit of limitations, yeah. but that's nice. But you don't get wings. Now at 18th level, you get Umbral Form. So for a bonus action and six sorcery points, you can transform yourself into a shadowy form. You get resistance to all damage types except Force and Radiant. 
And you can move through other creatures and objects as difficult terrain. So it takes you double movement. And you can do it for up to a minute or until you dismiss. So you can walk through walls. You can... I mean, that's a pretty awesome yeah, ability, 18th cool, level. Actually. Better than wings. Better than <laughs> wings. Yes. Uh, you are forgetting about something with oh, this. Oh, what's that? I don't know if you saw this or not. The Shadow Sorcerer Quirks. Oh, I did not. You did not. Yes. You may, at your option, pick or roll from the Shadow Sorcerer Quirks table to create a quirk for your character. This is not apparent in any yeah, other... I'm a min-maxer, so if it says, as your option, yeah. and it's a quirk, I'm probably going to say, yeah, I okay. choose not but to. Here, but go ahead. Th these are pretty much all... They don't affect you in any way, shape, yeah, or form. Okay. Well, they affect you, but they don't harm you. Uh, not it's combat a, related. Right. 1d6. So, number one, you are always icy cold to the touch. Yeah. Number two, when you are asleep, you don't appear to breathe, though you still must breathe to survive. See, that would... What if you, like, got in a relationship and yeah. then you were, like, sleeping <laughs> with... They would constantly be waking you up going, are you okay? You okay? Are you okay? Yeah. yeah. You still there? You still yeah. there? Uh, uh, number three, you barely bleed even when badly injured. That would be weird. weird. Okay, yeah. so these are just quirks. Okay. Number four, your heart beats once per minute. <laughs> this event sometimes surprises you. <laughs> okay. And then at five, you have trouble remembering that living creatures and corpses should be treated differently. <laughs> that, yeah, that could be fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the last Weekend one, at Bernie's. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the last one, number six, you blinked once last week. Yeah. Wow, dry eye. That'd be hard to role play. Yeah. yeah. You have to carry eye drops with you. Okay. All right. Carrying on right. our last one. Yeah, so Shadow Magic. I really like Shadow Magic. I'm surprised I haven't seen more of it. It's interesting. Storm Sorcerer. I believe one of the characters on Critical Roles is Storm. Maybe not. Maybe they're a Storm something. They're a Storm something. I don't know if it's Storm Sorcerer. So your magic comes from the element of air, and I'm not sure why we... Restricted it to, to air. air. Why like, so specific? It yeah. seemed yeah. like this could be something that was like an elemental sorcerer. Right. It, you could pick from any number. But I guess air is sort of the one that's most prevalent. Elemental <laughs> dirt. You could be pig pin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea for a D&D character. There you a go. A pig pen type Thank character. Mm. Okay. So storm sorcerer. First level, you get wind speaker. You learn primordial, which in the convoluted language tree that is D&D includes <laughs> Aquin, Arin, Ignan, and Terran. So it does include all the four languages spoken by the elementals. Right. Yes. You get to... Pestuous magic. As a bonus action, you can fly up to 10 feet without an opportunity attack after you cast a leveled spell. Okay, 10 feet. It lets you get out of attack range, but not that far. And truthfully, as a sorcerer, you're using your bonus action a lot to quicken or to convert uh, sorcery points into slots or slots into sorcery points. So, um, I don't know. That's okay. Again, you sort of get mini wings. I was going to say, no wings. <laughs> At 6th level, you get Heart of the Storm, resistance to lightning and thunder, and you deal half your sorcerer's level in lightning or thunder damage to creatures of choice within 10 feet when you cast a leveled spell of that type. That's a lot of uh, So basically, you cast Lightning there. Bolt, and you can fry things within 10 feet equal to half your sorcery level. If you're 20th level, yeah. you do 10, 10 damage, to, and creatures of your choice. That's sort of like uh, Storm in the X-Men, yeah. you know, which uses their mm -hmm. abilities and all that stuff starts blowing around. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a cool ability. Yeah. And that's 6th level. That's yeah, not actually bad. That's at six pretty level, early. That Actually, that is pretty good at 6th level. 
Now, you also at six level, you get Storm Guide. Um, you can, as a bonus action, you can end rain within to, for a 20-foot radius or change the wind direction in a 100-foot radius. How often is that going to come up? Yeah. Um, you know what? <laughs> they would be really popular on a sailing ship. How many sailing ships in a fantasy mm. world would have a storm sorcerer of six level? Oh. Yeah. Because a ship's about 100 feet. Even if it's not, the sail, yeah. as long as they're within 100 feet of each other, you can always have the sail at your back. Can you imagine naval battles where every ship always had the sail at its back or wow. the wind at its back? Wow. Yeah. yeah. That. Now, how long does that last, though? That's... It's as a bonus action. I don't believe it's limited number of times per day, although oh. Dean has it in front of him. He could always... It does not... Let's see here. Talk Heart of the Storm. Storm, mm. Storm this guy. This is a bonus action. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you don't generate wind. So if it was a Becalm Sea, you yeah. would still... You know, if you're in the doldrums, uh, that would be a problem. But, but if you got a nasty headwind, that... Oh, wait. Up. Yeah, the wind blows in that direction until the end of your next turn. Yeah, but you can use it every turn. Right. Yes, you can yeah. use it. So, now. yeah. And okay. it's a bonus action, so you could, like, make tea while you were doing it. But it does not alter the speed of the wind. <laughs> no, exactly. See, yeah. So the wind is... You just yeah, you're just you're guiding. You're not creating. Yeah, so if it's becalmed, you ain't doing shit. Yeah. So. But still, they, that's when they get the oars out, and you ain't going to have to row because you're the storm sorcerer. Yes, you're being you know, paid to do that. So, okay. so at 14th level, you get Storm's Fury. Uh, as a reaction, after... You get hit by a melee attack. You can deal lightning damage equal to your sorcery level. They then have to make a strength saving throw equal to the uh, sp your spell save DC, or they are pushed away 20 feet. It's a, dam it's a damage shield. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, it's not a shield. You still take the damage. You just yeah. give it back to them. Right, and push them away. And push them away. That's sort of nice. That's yeah, sort of cool. Sticking a fork in a socket. <laughs> <laughs> No wings, though. I guess. Okay. <laughs> if you think of the sorcerer as a light socket or a... And well, the other person getting wings. Electrocuting, yeah. yeah. Um, and then finally, at 18th level, you get wind soul. You're immune to thunder and lightning. You get to fly uh, without 60 wings. feet. Or you can let other people fly for th with a 30-foot movement, and you can do a number equal to three plus your charisma modifier, which is probably five. So eight, everybody can fly for everybody one hour. Everybody flies. Everybody can fly for one hour. That's, Actually, that would be handy. Everybody gets wings. Yeah. yeah. Literally, everybody gets wings. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but apparently they are now adding in D&D Beyond Unearth Arcana. Yeah, they've had that. Yeah, okay. They also do some some of the critical role stuff yeah. they've had. Oh, like really? Gunslingers in there. Is that starting to become official, you know, canon type stuff? No. Not well. It's always just because they they sponsor Critical Role, so okay. they include yeah. it. And there was a demand for it early on. Yeah. Apparently, you can be descended from a giant. In yeah. yeah. We won't get into that. We won't either. get it. And a lot of that UA stuff when it first comes out is way overpowered. It's like really, there's a lot yeah, of stuff going on with it. Yeah. yeah. So now I did make a sorcerer uh, build. I was so impressed with the shadow magic sorcerer. Yeah, I, I struggled. I wanted to make up a character, but I could not come up with anything. Now, there was... Did we forget one of the abilities for... Sh I don't think so. Shadow magic? I was following along, and we hit them all. Hold on. So... You added something that you shouldn't have. <laughs> no. <laughs> what, he added something for the shadow magic? Let's see, shadow magic. We've got... Um, Eyes of the Dark, Strength of the Grave, Hound of Ill Omen, Shadow Walk, and Umbral Form. 
Okay, somehow... You messed up. No, I... His men maxing has backfired. He maxed mend. Give me one second. All right. He went with the max. Not well, the Eric and I will, uh, Greg and I will talk amongst ourselves because, you know, this is an auspicious... Have you ever played a sorcerer? I have. Uh, like I said, first, uh, third edition was my first one. Okay. I've got some sorcerers in my game right now, and they are... They're performing very well. Uh, we have very slow advancement levels, and oh. I think our uh, sorcerer is only fifth level at this point. So. I need Here's to expand my missed. magic users. Yeah. Here's what we missed. Eyes of the Dark. We did not, I did not have thorough enough notes. Not only do you gain dark vision out to 120 feet, but at third level, you learn the darkness spell, and you can cast it with a spell slot or by spending two sorcery points. Now, additionally, if you use sorcery points to cast that darkness, you can see through the darkness. It doesn't affect you. Oh, nice. But it's still a magical darkness, which means no one else can see into that darkness. So my build is a character I am calling Dark Upine. <laughs> okay. If you are attacking somebody and they can't see you, you get advantage. But if you can't see them, you get disadvantage. So, like, attacking in darkness still ends up as an even roll. But in this case, you can... They can't see you, but you can see them. So you would attack with advantage if I use my sorcery points. So what I basically did was I took four levels in Shadow Sorcerer because I want to have at least four sorcery points. I want to get that ability score increase. And then I made a fighter who's an archer. And I just made this up to fifth level because they get their, their multiple attacks. And I just gave him a longbow. And you can do the same trick with that ranger build, that uh, whatever they call uh, it, the um, dark walker or something. Uh, yeah, shadow walker. Shadow, I is, yeah. is that? Is I it? forget what it's I called. But essentially, the, the gimmick here is that I use my two spell point, sorcery points, and I cast darkness, and then I stand in that darkness, and I shoot you with my bow. <laughs> <laughs> now, because I'm in darkness... I get advantage on my shots, and I get two because I'm a fighter. I get my two shots now. If I if I go even more cheese and I do hand crossbow, <laughs> and I take crossbow expert, I actually get three shots because I can use my bonus action and and whatever oh, else. And and if I want to get crazy, but I'm also a fighter, so I get the archery fighting style. So I get plus two to my damage or to hit damage, I believe. Yeah, on is. that. So, right now, at ninth level, the way this character works, I would get two longbow attacks, and I would have plus 11 to hit with advantage. So I'm never missing. That's with no magic. Well, and then people have disadvantage to hit you, because you're people, Well, they can't even darkness. target me with yeah. spells. And all I can see is that old video where the creatures are playing D&D &D and one of them is looking for a, uh, a Mountain Dew and he yells right. from the kitchen, I attack the darkness! <laughs> That's right. That's about all they would be able to do. So... Fireball target. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of nice. I also, because I'm a fighter, I have action surge. So I only got four sorcery points, so if I spend two to make the darkness... Now I'm going to shoot two times with my longbow, plus 11 to hit, with advantage. And then we use action surge. I'm going to shoot two more times with my longbow, plus 11 <laughs> to hit, with advantage. How often do you think you could make that actually happen in a game? Well, the problem is casting in the darkness takes an action. 
that's oh. that's so, you, so yeah you, so you lose her lose around yeah so ideally i don't know if it'd work very good in lunch adventurously because everybody just likes to charge in but you're not wearing armor and you could be pretty stealthy you could wear armor you're a fighter but really you're going to be a darkness. where would you cast the darkness uh, well, darkness, similar to light, you can put it on an object right. and you can actually shield it. So you could cast it in a coin or, that, or like a necklace. You could hold the gem on the necklace. There would be no darkness. Right. And, then and when you go. let it go, all of a sudden you're surrounded by darkness. Yeah. So, oh, that's yeah, darkness is a little with you. Clever. It would travel with Now it has a duration. I forget what the duration of darkness is. But now they can target. They can see that darkness. Yeah. That big blob of darkness over yeah. there and they can target that. They could. With fireballs. If they have a way to attack it, yeah. But it's just another way to make an archer character that uh, sort of has advantage all the time. I and mean, you can do that twice because you got four sorcery points. And then you're still advancing as a fighter. So you get all those ability score increases that fighters get. Hmm. You're going to max out your decks pretty quick. You're going to max out your charisma pretty quick nice. if you want. Okay. Your constitution, you'd have a lot of hit points. Very nice. Yeah. So that's... Dark, dark Upine. Dark, like dark Upine, the Sorcerer Archer. Yes. All right. The Shadow Sorcerer Archer. And you get the 120-foot teleport. Also pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, or maybe not. Maybe well, you're not high enough level. Uh, well, you know what? I think we've exhausted that as yeah. much as we can. So <laughs> it is now time for Greg to take us out as we come to the conclusion of this okay let us know about your sorcerers and your sorceric experiences on our facebook page where we are the grognards on twitter we are at t grognards on instagram sometime we might be the underscore grognards and we always anxiously await your emails where we are gamers at the grognards.com all right, and that is a wrap for us, the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on.